God, we come to you in opening your book, opening your word, Lord, and we come before you in prayer because we need you, Lord, so much. We ask, God, that you would give us understanding, Lord, of what we're about to read, God, what we're about to study. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying today. Lord, I pray you give us just a mind to understand these things and a heart to receive, Lord, what you have intended for us. And as we come before you, as we continue to even worship you this morning, God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to anoint this time, to give us a word, Lord, right now. Thank you for your presence already. Thank you for gathering us here together, Lord, as we come to honor you. So bless your word this morning, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hey, we live in a world today, more than any other time in history, we live in a world where we have access now to so much information, right? We know that on the internet. We use our phones, our computers. Constantly, we are even given information, even through social media and all that. We live in a world today, though, with all that information where the devil has flooded our society with how someone said, flooded the market with imitations. And I like that. I was thinking about that because there's a lot of fake and false information out there, so much so that, I don't know, sometimes we can be overwhelmed with so many things that we throw up our hands and says, you know, and we say, you know, I don't know what to believe anymore. So what happens is people in the world, they start to try and figure things out, uh, or they just give up and say, you know what, I'm going to not even think of anything, or they make up their own truth, if that's even such a thing, right? <laughs> Uh, One of the things that I came across is kind of some crazy beliefs about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, throughout the years, there's been different ideas of what that is. For example, many, many years ago, some said, as as did the infamous mass murderer Charles Manson, he said that, well, the Fab Four, the Beatles, were actually the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Another thing I came across is that there's this manga out there uh, which take these four horsemen, and they say this, I quote, they are four elite warriors of Britannia's largest clans. Its main goal is to bring a new holy war to the world. And then they say that they are, the four horsemen, the children of the seven deadly sins. So you can see how, oh, the mind's going, grabbing things maybe from the Bible possibly. One other thing I was thinking about last March, now last year March, or no, it was, it was just this last, last March this year, many Christians on social media were talking about how the coronavirus shows that the four horsemen of the apocalypse is now here. And get this, one British paper actually picked this up and put this on their headline, four horsemen are active Bible scholars claim Book of Revelation seals broken. Now, I read that, I thought, wait, what, what, wait a minute, who, who are these Bible scholars? Are they really Bible scholars at all? I mean, is that really true? What is going on in our world today? Is that what the Bible shows us about the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Is that the coronavirus that's happening right now? Well, I'll tell you right now. No, it's not. The coronavirus is not what shows the four horsemen are here. What we're going to find out today, as we return to our study through the book of Revelation, we finally made it to chapter 6. And as this chapter opens, Jesus opens the first seal, and we see a horse and rider coming out. And that actually marks the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. And so with all these seals come out what events that are going to be happening in tribulation. And the first four seals, there comes out what we call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And that's our title of our message today. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, I put part one here because I was going to do the all horses here, but I decided to go a little slower, at least today. And we're going to just look at the first horse and its rider, 
the white horse. And that could be a subtitle for us this morning. But as we look here, the four horsemen of the, of the apocalypse, part one, we're going to be studying Revelation chapter six, verse one and two. We're just going to take that first part. And with these two verses, this is our outline. With verse one, we see number one, the arrival of the tribulation. And with verse two, we're going to see the second heading in our outline, the arrival of the wicked conqueror. So that's what we're going to see as we come to understand what is these four horsemen of apocalypse. Now, I, I, I want you to know that as we understand these things, you know, I was thinking about, you know, that saying, knowledge is power, right? Let this empower you to be able to filter out things that are coming out, things that are going to continue to come out as this world spins uh, toward the time of the tribulation and end of the world as we know it. Let this knowledge, what we study today, let this speak to you in the sense of calming your fear. Maybe understanding that God knows what's coming up and that He has things handled. So what we learn today, let it be something that empowers you, this knowledge, this understanding, our study of Scripture, that you can take home and say, you know what, I know what the white horse is. I know what the writer is. So, let's dig into this now. Number one, the arrival of the tribulation. Verse one, number one in our outline. Take a look with me here in Revelation chapter six, verse one. It says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And we'll stop right there. We begin here with John writing what he sees after what he saw in chapter 5. You remember last time we were given this preview. It was really, you know, I was thinking about this this week. It was really this ceremony in heaven before all of this happens. And if you missed it, you can catch it on our YouTube channel, on our podcast, or even Facebook. But you remember John wrote about when the Lamb of God, Jesus, stepped forward as the only one who held the right and authority to take the scroll out of God the Father's hand and open its seven seals. Now, the scroll, if you remember we studied this, is the title deed to the earth. Remember that. Which was lost to Satan when Adam and Eve sinned way back in the garden. And so Jesus steps forward. He has the right to be taking back what was lost. And that, that was the title of our message last week when we studied uh, Revelation chapter 5. For, as we saw what was described to us, Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, right? We learned He has that authority. He, has, he is the King. He has the rightful King who steps on the throne, the Lion. He, has, he is the Lord God. He is the Lion and then we saw that Jesus is the Lamb who we saw who still looked as though he was slain. He still held, held the scars. So he was the Lamb, we understood, who purchased all this when he died and rose again. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered Satan when he first came, when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. So that was the ceremony, all heaven erupts in in worship, right? Now we come to chapter 6. So after that ceremony in heaven, John watched Jesus here in verse 1, step forward. John watched Jesus take that scroll, and then the Lamb, Jesus, opened one of the seven seals. Now you remember this scroll that is being described here is like one of the like a document in the official Roman time. And remember these documents were rolled up like the ancient scrolls where we can picture and see in movies. And it was also sealed with a wax seal. But this document had seven seals, which was typical for that time for certain uh, title deeds and official documents. And this scroll was sealed with seven seals in a way that as you Break one seal, you can roll it up. And then you come to roll it out. And then you come to the second seal, and then you could get to the next section. And then you come to the third seal, and you get to the next section. And, and on and on it goes. And so you can picture what's going on here. And that's why there's seven seals. That's why as we go through this chapter, they're going to be open, broken, one by one, as Jesus unrolls this scroll. And so you remember that this 
scroll is not just a title deed to the earth, but this scroll is like escrow instructions. That's what I call it. It contains the process of how the authority over the earth will be returned to Jesus. So that's what we see unfolding. This is what is being unfolded before us as we get into Revelation chapter 6. So, the first seal is broken. When that's broken, we read in verse 1, Then John, here's one of the four living creatures. Remember, we saw that earlier, right? Uh, We saw that in chapter 5, that this is cherubim angels, right? Four of them around the throne. And so one of these angels, these cherubim, they say loudly, a voice like thunder, they say, come. So he's calling out now. He's going to be doing this with each of the four horse and their rider to come out onto the earth. So you get the picture here. Now, with this, time has finally come. Time has come for the process to begin taking back the earth. And it begins, as we've been talking about, with this outpouring of judgment. So all this, what we're going to see, the opening of the seals, is God's judgment making right what was wrong, bringing justice. His judgment being poured upon the world. And so this is why I outline, our outline title today is The Arrival of the Tribulation. So at this moment, in verse 1, when the first seal is broken, this is the arrival of the tribulation. Now there's two things I want you to see here. Number one is just what I said is the opening of the first seal marks the start of the tribulation. Now, what has been prophesied so long is now come, the beginning of the end, basically. When the last seven years of the world as we know it, God will come and bring His wrath, bring His judgment. We've been studying that, even back when we were in Thessalonians, if you remember. Did you know there are like 19 prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of this time? For example, like in Obadiah 15, it says, For the day of the Lord, and that's another word for it, is near upon all the nations as you have done. It shall be done to you. Your deed shall return on your own head. So the righteous God, the God of justice, he will finally bring justice. He'll finally bring judgment upon the world. Jesus also confirms this in Mark chapter 13, verse 19. He said, For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. So Jesus even talked about this time in the world. In the Gospels, Jesus, in each of the Gospels, talk about this time. And, and let me tell you, Jesus is saying here in Mark uh, 13 that it's going to be worse than ever before. It's going to be, this is a time when it's way more worse than the pandemic we're in right now. This is a time which will be more worse than, than the world wars that ever been. This is a time that will be way worse than the world has ever seen. That's what's going to happen. It, it, this is God's judgment falling upon the world. Now, we're going to see that there is seven years of this tribulation, and things will just get worse and worse. First of all, as we begin here in uh, Revelation chapter 6, there's going to be seven seals being opened up. And out of the seventh seal will come seven trumpet judgments. And out of the seventh, uh, it'll go down the line, one, two, three, four, five, six, and out of the seventh trumpet are going to be poured out seven bowls of judgment. And that's kind of an idea of what we'll be seeing down the road here as we go through this book of Revelation. Actually, this last three and a half years of tribulation is, is actually called the Great Tribulation in the Bible. And, and, and that's because that's how bad it gets. It's just going to keep getting worse and worse. Now, just to be clear, the tribulation is, is overall the seven years, the last seven years. The great tribulation is the last half of it. So, as this first seal is broken, this, the opening of the first seal, it marks the start of the tribulation. Now, there's one more thing I want you to see here. Number two is this. The opening of the first seal is the time when God is with Israel again. That's another 
uh, thing you have to understand as we get into this. Because if you understand that, then you understand as we go through this book, these references to Israel, these references of God reaching out to Israel, of God protecting Israel through all the cataclysmic, however you say that word, events. Yeah. All that is going on. So the opening of the first seal is a time when God is with Israel again. Now, understand this. Remember in our studies in the book of Daniel last year, and if you missed that, you can go back again to our podcast or YouTube channel. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 22 to 27, we studied the 70 weeks of Daniel. You may have heard that. And just real, real quickly, it's basically, it's a prophecy of how God will work with Israel for four years. 190 years, 70 weeks, 70 uh, groups of seven weeks, which is representing years. So 70 times seven years is 490 years. Daniel 9.24, the first part says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. So basically, God will work with Israel, is going to work with Israel, Israel for 490 years. And at the end of that time, He saves Israel and brings them into his kingdom on earth, which we're going to see at the end of the book of Revelation. Now, the time clock for the 490 years started with the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple after the Babylonian captivity. That's what we studied in in Daniel. Well, that's when that clock starts. As soon as uh, the decree went out and uh, uh, Cyrus, King Darius, uh, sent out, uh, the allowed the the Persian king allowed the Jews to leave the captivity. Babylon had fallen and go back to their land and rebuild Jerusalem. That's when that clock for the 490 years started, and then the prophecy told us the clock stops at the first coming of Jesus when Jesus died and rose again. That clock stopped at 483 years. Now, now again, you could go back and. And listen to our study on that. I'm kind of giving you, giving you the, the overview here. And when the clock stopped for Israel, that's when God began to work for, with believers in Jesus. And that's what we call the church age. So you understand, according to this prophecy in Daniel 9, that there's 483 years have passed. God worked with Israel. The clock stops now. Uh, 483, right? There's seven years left to get to 490. So there's still seven years left. But we are living right now in that age, the church age, where believers in Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again from the dead, that's the church age now. That's what we're living in. The clock is stopped for Israel. But according to that prophecy in Daniel 9, there's seven years left. And guess what? That's going to start up again. Guess what that is? That's the rapture. That's the end of the church age. When the church goes home to be with Jesus in heaven, and then the clock will start once again for Israel. And how long is that? Seven years to get to 490 years. And that's where we see seven years of the tribulation. And in that seven years, we're going to see in the book of Revelation that God begins to work with Israel once again. God's plan in the end is to save her, and we're going to see that. God's plan in the end is preparing her to receive Jesus and usher her into the kingdom that Jesus is going to make on this earth when he returns the second time. So, the seven years of the tribulation is also when the clock will start again for Israel. I hope you understand that. Uh, some of the detail with the 70 weeks, again, you can go back and see our studies of, on that. But here, as we see the opening of the first seal, this is, this is the arrival of the tribulation. It marks the start of the tribulation, but it is also the time when God is with Israel again. Now, I hope that makes some connections and clicks in your mind here. Uh, with all the different maybe prophecies and studies you've been through. But I hope you see, verse 1 is important, because this is the beginning here. And I told you, here we go last week, right? Here we go, chapter 6, here we go. I told you, here we go. We're going to get into 
what God has revealed to us in what is going to happen in the tribulation. Now, we know that, that much of Revelation is prophecy, right? Did you know that over 300 prophecies in the Bible on Jesus' first coming, when he came to die on the cross and for our sins, did you know, and rise again, did you know they all came true? Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. Well, think about this. There, did you know there's over like a thousand prophecies that, that, that concern Jesus' second coming, including everything we're going to be reading here? Over a thousand. Now, if Jesus fulfilled all of the first prophecies, do you think the prophecies of the second coming, his first coming were all, all fulfilled? Do you think the prophecies of the second coming and the tribulation will come true? I think so. Yes, I think so. That's God's word, isn't it? We know God's word is true. We know his promises are true. We stand on those promises, don't we? Well, we stand on these prophecies to be true as far and as much as we can understand them. So, let me tell you this. The breaking of the seven seals will happen. It will happen. And you know what? I think it's soon. I think it's going to be very, very soon. And so, let me say this. If you haven't gotten right with Jesus, if you haven't received Jesus into your heart, now is the time to get ready, you guys. Now is the time. I mean, the other day, think about this. The other day I, I had this meeting like later in the morning and I just, I just got up, you know, and, and started studying and uh, most of the morning and I, and, and I have a little alarm, yeah, a little uh, alert on my calendar that tells me, oh, the meeting's coming up. And I don't just set it for 15 minutes, but I like set it for half an hour because a lot of times I just get up and I, I get into my projects, or I, I get into my studying, you know. And the alarm goes off, and I had a meeting coming up, and, you know, I hadn't brushed my hair. I hadn't, you know, uh, eaten anything. I was still, like, in my sleeping clothes kind of thing, right? I, I, I didn't even brush my teeth. I'm sorry to let you know that little secret. I mean, I, I looked like, smelled like a mess, okay? <laughs> and so I had to get ready for this meeting. I had to change my clothes. I had to get cleaned up. Well, you know what? In the same way, we need to get ready. Get ready. The time is coming. Get ready. And you know how we get ready spiritually? You know how we get ready for this time that's coming and that's getting ready by going to Jesus. As we've been talking about in, in the last chapter and even in chapter 4, our first message in verse 1 in chapter 4, we talked about how the church before all this happens, we'll be with Jesus in heaven through the rapture of the church. We study that in 1 Thessalonians. We've talked about that over and over. And so, you see, Jesus is speaking right now to you and I. He loves you and He wants you with Him in heaven. He wants you to be part of that group we saw in chapter 5, praising God, worshiping, seeing this whole scene when Jesus receives and takes the scroll. Jesus wants you there because He loves you. He wants you there to see when He breaks open that first seal. Will you go to Jesus today? Will you make yourself right with Him by going to Jesus? He loves you so much. And this is coming, you guys. The prophecy is going to be fulfilled in what we see. And I believe it's soon. And there's no better time. That there, there's, there's no better time than now because you must get ready because this is all going to happen soon. And once it happens, as someone said, one pastor said, once the first domino falls, it's going to all come down. So I appeal to you. Go to Jesus. Believe in Him. Give Him your heart. Give Him your life. Be forgiven of your sins. Be saved by Him. Maybe you've wandered. Maybe you strayed from God. Well, maybe your heart is far away. Well, now is the time to get right with God, to go back to Him, to recommit your life to Him. Now is the time, and do that now. So, we see here the arrival of the tribulation. And now, number two in our outline, the arrival of the wicked conqueror. The arrival of the wicked conqueror. I know we only have one screen. Something happened to the other screen, so sorry about that. But here, let's get into this white horse, 
the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So verse 2 now, it says, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, at the command of this one cherubim, John sees a white horse come out. A white horse is dispatched out into the world. Now, horse, a horse in the Bible is often linked with power, victory, and conquering. And that, that, that's the idea. It's, it's, like, it's like the image of a Roman general riding on his white horse, coming into town with the cheers, with the cheers of the people after his conquering battle. So here comes this individual, this rider, on this white horse, and, and he comes in with power, victory, conquering. Now, some say that, well, this represents the gospel going out into the world during the tribulation. And, and it could be, some feel that way. Me, I, I, I kind of see things different because each horse seems to usher in some sort of judgment. Besides that, later, we're going to see in the book of Revelation, God himself sends the gospel out. He'll send an angel out telling everyone about Jesus. He's going to send 144,000 Jews to go into Israel and witness Jesus and bring people to Jesus. We're going to be seeing that. Some say that this represents Jesus Christ, that it's Jesus going out here at this moment. But... Uh, there's something that I see that I, I just can't reconcile. Now, in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus, which is when Jesus comes in his second coming, we see Jesus not carrying a bow, but he has a sword. We also see Jesus, he doesn't have one crown, but many crowns, diadem, and this is just one crown, which actually a different word is used, and we'll get into that in a moment. Besides that, remember how I mentioned verse 1 marks the beginning of the tribulation? Well, if this, Jesus, this is Jesus, he's not coming at the beginning. What I see in Revelation 19, that his second coming is at the end of the seven years of tribulation. Now, you can study that on your own. But most commentators agree on this, that each horse represents an event that comes upon the world in the tribulation. That each horse re represents an event that comes upon the world in the tribulation. That's what the horse, the rider, and we're going to get into more in detail in the other horses. But, but here, here's, here's what, how I say it. The white horse that we see here in verse 2 represents the arrival of the wicked conqueror. And we'll get into detail of that. That's the heading of our outline. We're going to see the red horse in verse 4. That represents the arrival of warring violence. We're going to see in verse 5, the black horse represents the arrival of a worldwide famine. And we're going to see with the pale horse in verse 8, it represents the arrival of widespread death. So that's, that's a little peek into what these other horses are. But let's go back to our focus today. The white horse and its rider represents the arrival of the wicked conqueror. That's the heading in our outline. So that's the white horse. And let's get into this verse, verse 2. There's four things I want you to see. And number one is, his rise to power looks good, but it's not. This wicked conqueror, his rise to power looks good, but it's not. So okay, in verse 2, John looks and behold. A white horse. And there's a rider on there, right? And so, if it's not Jesus, who is this wicked conqueror? Well, you know who it is? It's the Antichrist. That's right. It's the Antichrist. It's the prophesied Antichrist who's to come upon this world and who is going to be ending up, like we, in our, our studies of prophecy in, in the Bible, he's going to end up being the last world ruler in this, in, in, uh, in this world. So he appears on the scene. Now, he, he's looking like he's the savior of the world, right? But he really comes to deceive. And this is how I look at it. I mean, I, not all bad guys wear black, right? Right? 
oh, this guy's wearing white. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing, basically. Now, the word antichrist is made up of two Greek words. Uh, Christ, of course, the Messiah, Christ. But the first word, anti, that means against or in opposition to. It also means instead of or in place of. So here's this guy coming in, and he's coming in place of Christ, in place of Jesus. He's coming in against. He's coming in instead of. See, the Antichrist opposes Jesus. He comes in. He comes in instead of the real Jesus, and he comes in as this evil imitation. And you know what his mission is? His mission is to destroy anyone and anything that has to do with God. That's his mission. That's why he's called the Antichrist. So the Antichrist comes on the scene, first of all, looking like the good guy, but he's really Satan's man. He looks like he's on this white horse, yeah? He's coming in as like the savior, as, as a great leader, but he's really, really a deceiver. Matter of fact, a Revelation 12, 9 calls him this, the deceiver of the whole world. Later in Revelation 13, we're going to see he's called the beast. In 2 Thessalonians 2.9, it says uh, he operates by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. He's even going to like work some miracles and fool and deceive people. They'll look like, oh, is this our Savior? Is this the Messiah? Oh, he's on a white horse. But he's really come to deceive. His rise to power looks good, but it's not. Here's the second thing, number two. His rise to power is, bl- is, a bloodle- is bloodless for now. His rise to power is bloodless for now. If you look at verse two, it says, John looked and behold, a white horse and its rider had a what? Bow. Had a bow. Notice there's no arrows here. That speaks of how this ruler, this wicked conqueror, will conquer not by military force, military force, but by political means. He will rise to power basically politically. Those backroom deals, they'll do favors, they'll do all, all, the, all the politics of that. We saw this in Daniel chapter 11. We also saw that in Daniel chapter 2 and chapter, chapter 7, it talks about his rise out of this, this, this last world government. This alliance of a ten nation, right, Uh, 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 from the old part of the old Roman Empire. Uh, Ten nations will come together from the old Roman Empire, which today we all believe that it's the European Union. And you think about that, right? I mean, look, look what's been going on since it's since it's come together. I mean, uh, uh, one monetary system, right? Uh, The euro, right? Uh, no borders now. You don't need passport for go from, from one nation to another. No, we're, we're like one world, this ten nation. And, and even today, there's more than ten nations, actually. But there is a ten nation security council that kind of controls everything. And I tend to believe right now, and what, what I see, that perhaps that's where the Antichrist will rise up. So out of this revival of the old Roman Empire, which we saw, we study in Daniel 2 and, uh, and, and Daniel 7, will rise up this Antichrist and take over leadership. But he only has a bow. He only looks uh, as, as, well, he has that power, but no arrows. This Antichrist rises through political maneuvering and takes over as the leader of the world. That's how he does it. You know, there's that old joke, how can you tell if a politician is lying? His lips are moving. Remember that old joke, right? Well, the Antichrist will be that ultimate politician. He'll stretch the truth. He'll manipulate it. He'll lie. He'll make those deals all so he can gain that position. All that he can make his way up politically to be that man and in the tribulation to be that world leader, to be the leader over one, a, a one world government. So we see his rise to power looks good, but it's not. His rise to power is bloodless for now. Number three is this. His rise to power is granted approvingly. His rise to power is granted approvingly. Again, Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, its rider had a, a bow 
And look, a crown was given to him. Now the word crown here is the Greek word stephanos. We've talked about that before. It's, 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 it's that wreath. In the old ancient Olympic games, the athletic games, that was their gold medal. It was, it was this wreath they, they put on their head made you know, to, like a crown, but, it, but it's just this wreath, this branch. And that's Stephanos. We talked about how we receive a Stephanos as believers when we get to heaven and how uh, we saw uh, the, the elders casting their Stephanos, their crowns before the Lord. Remember that? So here is that this wicked conqueror, the Antichrist, he is given a Stephanos. It's a prize. It's a award. He's not a real monarch. He, he doesn't wear a diadem. That's another the Greek word for a kingly crown like Jesus wears. He has many diadems in Revelation 19. But he comes in and he's given, really, this leadership. He's given this position. And why is that? You know what? Daniel 7, 8 says he comes with a mouth speaking great things. He's going to come in as a savior of the world. He's going to come in with answers to the world's problems. That's what he's going to do. He's going to come in and, and on his white horse, and he's going to come in like, oh, look at this guy. Oh, look at him. He, oh, he speaks so well. Oh, look at, look at him. He, he has the answers. He can solve the problems of the world that we are in right now. And think about our world. It is falling apart. He's going to come in and fix the world economy. You know, there's talk that because of the virus and the shutdowns that who knows what this economy, our world economy, is going to be like. There's, going to, there's attempts to try and fix it with trade and all, but he's going to come in with answers to the world economy. You know what? I believe he's going to come in and have solutions to climate change, right? That's a hot topic right now. He's going to have, come in with ways to stamp out poverty. Yeah? So everyone will have food, that everyone will have provision and means. He'll, he'll have the answer to that. Everyone's going to love him. He's going to come in and, you know what, what's a big problem today? Racism and inequality, right? He's going to come in, he's going to have the answers to that. He's, he's going to, probably like the EU, let's pull down our borders. Let everyone in, let, let, let's just freely travel. We're one world. Yeah, we're equal. We're all people of this world. He's he's probably going to come in with something like that. And you know what? One huge thing he's going to do is he's going to bring peace to the Middle East. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But here's the Antichrist. Yeah, he's given this crown. He's awarded this position. Why? Because he'll have the answers to everything anyone ever wanted for this world. And he's going to seem to have the answers for that. Now, I want you to take note. It's not bad, right? It's not bad to have peace in this world. It's not ha bad to have an economy that everyone's doing well. It's not bad that, that, um, that this, this, this earth that uh, should be taken care of. It's not bad that uh, uh, we should be equal and, and get rid of in inequality and racism and all that. It's not bad, but it, I'll tell you, it's not going to happen with him, right? He's the guy in his white horse. He's that wolf, really. He's going to come in deceiving everyone, the Bible told us, right? It's not going to happen with him, but you know what? It is going to happen when Jesus returns. When Jesus sets up the perfect government and rule on this earth. When we read of the prophecies in Ezekiel in the millennium time when he returns, when this earth will be restored, right? When, 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 when he, God, will be on this earth and, and, and we will all be together. Everyone's going to be taken care of. It will happen, but not through him. But the world right now is trying to wrestle with these problems, aren't they? They're trying to figure out how we solve this. And different leaders have risen up and tried to say things, but the Antichrist will rise up and the world will gladly give the Antichrist power to rule and crown him as their ruler. You know, I remember something um, Pastor Chuck years ago was sharing how he had asked his Jewish friend in Israel, how is it you cannot see that Jesus is the Messiah? 
Well, his friend answered, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, but we believe the Messiah will be a man. And then Pastor Chuck said, how will you know when he comes? The answer, he'll lead in the rebuilding of our temple. I've been reading articles throughout these past years, and even when the coronavirus hit, rabbis talking about, well, this is going to usher in the Messiah. And there's, through the years now, the preparations for the rebuilding of the temple are, are there. They're there. Even claiming to have a red heifer, and, and they're there. They're just waiting. They, they, and many of these rabbis are looking for the Messiah to come and rebuild their temple. And we understand that. We understand that. We're going to see more of that when John is tasked to measure the temple in Revelation in, in this book. We're going to talk more about those, that prophecy. But think about that. Think about what they're waiting for when this man comes. And brings peace in the Middle East. And I believe he's going to broker a deal to rebuild the temple there on the Mount of Jerusalem. You know what I was thinking about? I believe that this peace in the Middle East will happen this way. Remember the prophecy of Ezekiel 38-39 where Russia, Iran, Turkey, and some other Muslim nations will come and attack Israel. Uh, we see a lot of things building up to that today. Uh, what's, what's crazy is Russia has her, her boots right there in the Middle East right now. That's never happened. And so in reality, it can happen at any moment. But the prophecy tells us in Ezekiel thirty-eight, thirty-nine, that this, this league of nations, Russia leading them, will come and try and, and take Israel, attack Israel. But God will miraculously save Israel. And I believe as they're decimated in that vacuum of power, the Antichrist will make his move and rise up. And what he's going to do is he's going to make this peace treaty with Israel. This is prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. For seven years, he's making this peace treaty. And, and I think that it's going to be brokering a deal and rebuilding this temple. That's what I believe. Because the temple has to be built. We see it in prophecy. So think about this. Israel now is at this point. After all all this time, God is moving in their country. He does this huge miracle. No one can doubt it in Israel. It's like Old Testament times. And at this moment, I believe this clock starts up again. I, that's why I believe around this time of the attack on Israel with, the, with Russia and Iran and Turkey, Ezekiel 30, is when the church will be raptured. I think it will be right before, if not during. But at that moment, Israel sees God saved in like in Old Testament times. The clock starts up again. And so now the people yearn to worship God like they did in the old days. In the ancient times. And then here comes the Antichrist. Hey, let's broker this deal. He's rising up in power. And I believe he's going to make broker deals so that with the Muslims, that they will be able to build the temple on Jerusalem. Mount. Right now is the, the mosque, right? The Muslim mosque, the rock. Yeah, I think they're going to broker a deal where both can exist on top of there. And then the Israel's going to say, yeah, we can worship. Look what God did. And their awareness of God will go way up. And then God's going to start witnessing to them Jesus Christ. So the Antichrist brokers this deal of peace with the temple being built on top of the mount. Israel will be ripe to receive this Antichrist. You see that? They will crown him. And you know what? The world will crown him because they're ripe also even right now. Right? The world is looking for someone to step up and solve these problems right now. So, we see number one, his rise to power looks good, but it's not. His rise to power is bloodless for now, because later on it's going to get bad. His rise to power is granted approvingly. And number four, our last last heading here, his rise to power is utter conquest. Now, verse 2 at the end, it says, And he came out conquering. 
His whole effort is to be the ruler, to be the leader, to be the king of the world here. That's his whole effort. That's, that, that's all, all his conniving, manipulation and all. That's, that's what it is. And then he wants to conquer. He came out conquering and to conquer. And what I see here is to utterly take control of everything in the world. And not just that, not just countries and nations, but every person. In the world. You see, Daniel chapter 9 tells us that three and a half years into the seven-year covenant with Israel, he's going to break this peace treaty. He's going to break this. And well, how is he going to do that? Well, three and a half years in, and we're going to see that also in Revelation, he's going to go into the Jewish temple, the rebuilt temple. He's going to stand on the altar. He's going to declare himself to be God, and he's going to require the whole world to bow down and worship him or else. He wants to conquer. Yeah, he wants to be the king of the world, but he also wants to control every person and make them worship him as God. And so in, three, in that three and a half year mark, he shows his true colors. His goal is to be king and worship his God. And this is what is known in the Bible as the abomination of desolation. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24, 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, standing in a holy place, let the reader understand. That's his, he wants to conquer. He wants to be the one. He, he wants the whole world under his thumb to the point. Like Caesar did. You know, Caesar came in. Roman times, hey, we're, they're Pax Romana, we're, we're going to bring peace. Yeah? But it was a pseudo peace, like the Antichrist. And he came in and finally, he set himself up as, every, right? The whole empire had to worship Caesar as God. Well, the Antichrist is going to do the same. And you know what? This is part of the judgment given to the world. See, the world is ripe for a leader who will give them what they've been wanting all along. And God says, okay, here. And when he shows his true colors, the Antichrist will come down on the world with evil like never before. And that's going to be part of the judgment of God. Now, as we close up here today, Maybe what's wondering in your mind is, is he alive today? Is the Antichrist here? If all this is about to happen soon, I would say yes. If God in his grace holds things back for another 10 years, and he saves more people, helps us to grow more and live for him, gives us more opportunity and time, 20, 30 years, maybe, you know, maybe not, but, I would assume that he's alive right now, you guys. That he's making his way through the political ranks. And as soon as these events start to happen, he's going to be right there. I don't know for sure, but there's signs in the times that tell me I think he is. But let me tell you this. Let me say this. The Bible never instructs us to look for the Antichrist. He does. No, the Bible doesn't. We're given ideas of what's coming up. Yeah? But the Bible never has instructs us to look for the Antichrist. But you know what the Bible instructs us to do? To look for Jesus Christ. We're not to look for the Antichrist, but Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And all this, it all means, you know what? Jesus is coming soon. You know, we may not know who this person is. We may, we may not know when exactly he's going to appear, but we do know where the world is heading. We do know that. And that's what you should take away with this, at least. The least thing is God knows, and God has told us. And God has in control, sovereignly, these events. And so we need not fear we, we, we take comfort that, wow, it's given to us right here. And it's amazing, isn't it? So we can find comfort, hope, security in God, in Jesus. Then you know, I'm not going to be here when all this happens. No ways. I don't want to be. 
We know what the world is heading to. Do you know where you're heading? I'll close with this. Albert Einstein was traveling on a train when the conductor came to collect the ticket. Einstein reached into his pocket, but it was empty. He checked his briefcase and around his seat, but no ticket. Dr. Einstein, said the conductor, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket, so don't worry about it. Einstein gave thanks to the conductor, and the conductor continued down the aisle. But when the conductor looked back, he saw Einstein still looking around for his ticket, like under his seat. The conductor returned to him and said, you don't need a ticket. No worry. I know who you are. Einstein looked up at him and replied, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) He got on the train. I know where the world is headed. But do you know where you're headed? Are you headed toward heaven? Are you headed toward the rapture? Are you headed toward being taken care of by Jesus here? Where are you headed? God loves you. Let him love you. Let him forgive you. So that you don't have to be around when the white horse arrives, when the wicked conqueror arrives, when the Antichrist comes, when this white horse of the four horsemen of the apocalypse comes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, God, and an insight into the future, Lord, of what's coming up for this world and this world leader that will appear on the scene. God, thank you that, as I believe the scripture tells us, that believers won't be around and I won't be around, Lord. When judgment falls and the tribulation begins, that, that when this first seal is broken, Lord, I'll be with you safely in heaven, safely in your arms, safely in your, securely in your presence. But God, I know today, even right now, we can be secure in you with the truths that we have learned with the truth of your love and what you've done on the cross for us. And as we move into this time of communion, God, speak to us, comfort us, Lord. As we remember how you died on the cross for our sins, Lord, may we know that we have a future with you, that there is a future in heaven, secure, for certain, no question at all, because of what you've done on the cross for us. And that's what we believe here today. That's what we do when we accept you into our hearts and surrender our lives to you, God. And so, Lord, we honor you at this moment as we move into a time of communion. In Jesus' name, amen.